Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. My name is TJ Van Toll, and with me on the panel today is Jack Harrington. Hello. And our special guests today are Mark Story and Priscilla Oliveira. Well, hopefully, I pronounced her name correctly. Uh, yes, welcome to Re- <laughs> Excellent. Welcome to React Roundup. Why don't you two introduce yourself and tell us who you are, what you do, why you're famous, those sorts of things. <laughs> I don't think I'm famous, but okay. <laughs> hey all, thanks for having me. My name is Priscilla. I'm a software engineer based in Vienna, and I'm currently employed at Sentry, working on the user interface of our application. So I'm more like a front-end engineer. <laughs> I'm Mark Story. I also work at Sentry with Priscilla. I work partially on the front-end and then also a lot on the back-end on our billing system. Yeah, and I'm in Toronto, Canada. This episode is sponsored by Sentry. Sentry is the thing that I put into all of my apps. First, I figure out how to deploy them. I get them up on the web. Then I run Sentry on them. And the reason why is because I need to know what's going on in my app all the time. Yeah, I'm kind of a control freak. What can I say? The other reason is, is that sometimes I miss stuff or I run things in development, you know, it works on my machine. We've all been there, right? And then it gets up in the cloud or up on a server and stuff happens and stuff breaks, right? I didn't configure it right. I'm an idiot and I didn't put the AWS credential in. I didn't do that last week, right? That wasn't me. Anyway, I need that error reported back. Hey, Chuck, I can't connect to AWS. The other thing is, is that this is something that my users often won't give me information on, and that's, hey, it's too slow, it's not performing right. And I need to know it's slowing down because I don't want them going off to Twitter when they're supposed to be using my app. And so they need to tell me it's not fast enough, and Sentry does that, right? I put Sentry in, it gives me all the performance data, and I can go, hey, that takes three seconds to load, that's way too long, and I can go in and I can fix those issues, and then I'm not losing users to Twitter. So. If you have an app that's running slow, if you have an app that's having errors, or if you just have an app that you're getting started with and you want to make sure that it's running properly all the time, then go check it out. They support all major languages and frameworks. They recently added support for Next.js, which is cool. Visit sentry.io slash signup and use promo code REACTROUNDUP. That's all one word, REACTROUNDUP, for three free months of their base team plan. All right. So it looks like you all have an article out on converting from JavaScript to TypeScript for your application and what the advantages were. Can you kind of give us a bit of a high-level synopsis on that? Yeah. So the high-level synopsis is we converted the application from JavaScript to TypeScript. So TypeScript is a statically analyzed uh, language that compiles down to JavaScript if you've not used it before. And so over the course of 18 months, we converted the whole applica- the whole front-end application for Sentry. From JavaScript, uh, from JavaScript into into TypeScript, yeah. And then we wrote a blog post around how we did it and some of the challenges we had and some of the, the benefits of that. So, what were some of the challenges you had? Uh, big code bases take a long time to migrate. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. So, for scale, like centuries around ninety thousand lines of code for, in JavaScript, and yeah, it just took a really long time because we weren't allowed to stop delivering features. So yeah, the, the the process we kind of documented was doing that without stopping because there's kind of like two approaches you can take with converting a, a large code base. You can like try and freeze the earth and do everything at once and then not do any feature work. And the other one is like do a rewrite, which is also very dangerous. And the other one is the, the approach we took, which is like you modify the code in place and then incrementally kind of change things over. I guess maybe we could start with what precipitated this change? Like where you internally sold on TypeScript and decided it was the right move? Because obviously, putting in that whole effort, you must have saw some some value in doing the work. Yeah, I can answer that. I guess the impetus was we were having, we had several kind of production incidents happen, customer-facing production incidents that were caused by front-end problems. 
And the after like in the retro for like why did we have this incident? A lot of the the like paths forward where you know if we had better tooling or static analysis, then we would be able to prevent these kinds of problems. And so that was kind of that happened multiple times, and the solution came up multiple times was to you know if we had better linting support or better static anal- static analyzation that could come from a, a tool like TypeScript, then we would be able to prevent these kinds of problems because they would be compiled time errors versus like runtime errors that we catch in production. So that kind of came through. And then uh, Century every year has like a hack week, like many companies. And a, a bunch of engineers took the time to kind of start the, the genesis of, of TypeScript conversion and make it possible to incrementally move the application over as part of their project. And then so we had a kind of a proof of concept. And then from there, uh, we were able to get buy-in on you know converting the rest of the application over. I'm curious the setup, because I, I sort of agree with your how you laid it out. Like when you're tackling something big like this, I think very often, at least in my experience, freezing everything like for a big rewrite is almost never an option just because I have like if if you have an app that's that much code, it chances are it's doing something important. And chances are you have to keep updating and working on it. And also like business users don't tend to like things of like, yeah, we're going to spend two, three months on this and you'll notice no changes. Hopefully you'll notice no changes because we might break something too, right? That's like those, <laughs> those arguments don't go over uh, so well. But mm-hmm. I am curious, like, because I've absolutely never attempt this with TypeScript specifically. I'm, I'm very curious of the architecture you came up with to make this possible. Because I'm assuming like you were pushing out TypeScript files, like, or at least I'm, I'm assuming you had some mechanism where you could like convert one file to TypeScript push it up, push it to production or whatever, and then just like keep on working. So I'm curious, like how like technically you set that up to work? Is it just like a, like some fancy Webpack config or what was going on to make that possible? Oh, yes. So we we decided on uh, converting our files incrementally to TypeScript. And so every day we were pushing files to production and we used our application to monitor errors. Yes, and so we, we had to, to use some Webpack config, some configuration to be able to do that. But this is something nice in TypeScript. You don't need to convert the whole code base at once. You can do it incrementally. So this is, was also one of the, the reasons we decided to, to introduce TypeScript. So how many developers are on your team and how did they fare in terms of learning TypeScript and you mentioned in the article some educational stuff. So how did that work? So I think we are 12 developers. Some of some of our colleagues, they only work on, on the front end. And some of our colleagues, they are full stack. So the education was the key in, the, in this process because some colleagues, they didn't know much about TypeScript. And we would like to first... We created uh, documentation, internal documentation. We also tried to motivate the colleagues to, to adopt TypeScript. And once they, they, they saw the benefits, they started to, to use TypeScript by themselves. So we never used the tooling to, to block someone of pushing JSX code to our code base. This was naturally. This happened naturally. So what were the big like, aha benefits uh, for these front end developers on like, oh, now, yes, TypeScript, that's awesome. I, you know, so much better than JSX. Now I'm never going to do JSX again. So auto completion, for example, 
Yeah, yeah. I would say like auto completion and the compile time checks yeah. were the, the the two big ones. Also, like improved code nav- navigation. So instead of having to get your editor to go up and find the symbol ref, like most editors, when you have the language server set up, you can jump to symbols or like preview symbols in line with like little floating windows. And so because the like editor ecosystem and the TypeScript team spent a lot of time making the like the dev experience really well. It was that like improved developer experience that really kind of like helped convert people over. And just a quick follow-up. So for editor, we're talking VS Code or we're talking WebStorm or what? Yeah, yeah. So we have a of the, the 12 to 20 people that work on the front end, there's a, a mix of people in VS Code, there's some Vim users, and then there's some like WebStorm or like PyStorm, PyCharm uh, users as well. So getting it to Helping people get set up with VS Code is pretty straightforward. And then the, the Vim users have their own like Slack channel where they <laughs> all share Vim script and, and Lua yeah. You guys yeah, just hang out over there. I don't know what y'all are doing, but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a huge, like, uh, huge VI fan. I, but, I imagine yeah. you need a special invite too. And it's <laughs> I, I'm one of those Vim people as well. So it was, yeah, we, have, we, we all work together to get it all working. Nice. So yeah, once, once everyone had the, their editor set up, then the benefits become a lot more Uh, visible and a lot more tangible and through that and uh, like code review like priscilla was mentioning we were able to kind of like guide and educate people uh, forward and then there was also some pair programming along the way like you should do do this in typescript and the person says i don't know and then we're like okay well we can just sit with you and and help you (laughs) or or, like video chat with you there's no sitting um (laughs) but yeah that's the kind of approach we took it's impressive that you did it over a pandemic, that's for sure. Yeah, that, that affected the timelines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we started the project, the, the timelines were like, our VP was like, well, when do you think you'll be finished? And we gave a timeline, which was complete rubbish. <laughs> and the pandemic came and then the timelines were very much rubbish. And then we were dealing with like team burnout. So yeah, just like trying to keep people motivated was one of the harder parts, I would say. One kind of nice thing or fun thing I see in your article is you have on here that uh, at certain points, like certain messier points, you would just leave in comments that were like to do's, like tackle this later. And I, personally, I kind of like that because it's like you're talking about like using the TypeScript, like any, which is like the get out of jail free uh, TypeScript trick. But I'm curious about that approach. I, I think I actually kind of like it because I'm guessing your point was you want to get this conversion done, right? And like addressing some of the messier TypeScript aspects would would potentially break your code unnecessarily when really you just wanted to get things changed and get things out there, presumably? Yeah, I, I would say we tried to use any sparingly. Uh, we tried really hard to to do the proper typing, but there are some places, especially where TypeScript interfaces were with React, where you can't type it all properly. I think it's like create ref is the one that is really annoying. Like you can't put generics through create, create ref, it drops them. So we had a, we had a few things like that, and we have a lot of like higher order components because Sentry is a, a long lived React application. So there's many different patterns. So there's a lot of higher order components, and we had a lot of problems with like default props not being able to tunnel their way through a through a higher order component. So those are some of like the TypeScript challenges we kind of like had to hack around. Yes, and we used to do. So we we can now after the conversion we are doing that now we are checking those places those uh, places where we added the to do, and we are trying to to find a better type and yeah and remove the, the to do with the correct type. Yeah, and we were using libraries that had some like not ideal typing support. So we were using create React class, and some of the types get kind of squidgy when they go through create React class. 
So we went back and like removed all of Create React class and like tried to simplify some of the higher components. And we still have a bunch of to dos left to do. So while we're while we're done, we're not like a hundred percent no any anywhere. There's still some. So it wasn't just TypeScript. It was it was kind of more generalized. You know, repass over the whole system and and refactor some of the old cruft that was stuck around in there, kind of thing. Yeah, we tried to try to focus like when you're converting a file to TypeScript or converting a module to TypeScript, like just do the TypeScript conversions. Don't make too many runtime changes unless the typing becomes really, really challenging because conflating the runtime changes with the with the type changes kind of sets you up for more problems than what you, you'd want to take on at this point in time. Oh, what could go wrong? It's... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that helped us make progress was to kind of put like a moratorium on any like other large scale refactoring. So another thing that we've been battling with is uh, is Enzyme is no longer being maintained as well as we would like to have. And we want to like we upgraded to React 17 and Enzyme requires some like workarounds to make that work. So we also wanted to shift off of Enzyme for testing, but we didn't want to start that until TypeScript was finished because we'd have too many like in-flight projects and you get everything half done and then everything was just awful for a long, long period of time. Yes, we also, we agreed that we wouldn't uh, use React hooks before the conversion, before the conversion was complete. So this was one of the things that motivated me to convert even more files. I think not only me, but many, many other colleagues. So finally, now after the conversion, we can use React hooks. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, it's much better. <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, it's only been a couple of three years since React hooks came out. I think something like that. Two years. It's been a while. Yeah. Yes, it's nice to be able to... That's a long time. So interesting uh, question for you about the educational side of the house. I've actually done a lot of TypeScript education and written, done a bunch of videos on it and all that. And a lot of questions that I get are around the misconception that TypeScript has a runtime to it, that it's going to bloat your code because it's going to do all this type checking and things like that. And I, I find it challenging to kind of get through to folks that TypeScript is just at compile time only. There is no runtime version of of TypeScript. How how much of a challenge was that for you to get that across to your team members? And what did you say or do to make get them to kind of grok that? I don't remember that coming up as a as a big problem. We're fairly conscious of our bundle size. So like just comparing bundle size from the the code that Webpacker is generating from like the down compilation from like ES6 down to or whatever ES version we were on, like ES current down to ES5, and then comparing the TypeScript compile down we would be able like it was pretty easy to to demonstrate like there's no significant runtime cost on bundle size so i think that was the way to end that argument was like the bundle size is actually the same or smaller so it doesn't matter what TypeScript is doing (laughs) (laughs) right well i think there's also things like oh like for example if you put an interface around where you're saying, okay, this is what we expect from the server, right? And then you get a response from the server and it doesn't match the payload, although the type that you have in the interface and people kind of expect that, oh, wait, I thought TypeScript was going to validate what was coming back from the server. And you're like, no, that's not the way that, no, that's not, TypeScript's not going to do that for you. So is that something, that that kind of thing is something that I, I find challenging? Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, so we unfortunately don't... Uh, we don't have our payload uh, typed, so, so many times we have to, to cast it, or we already know what data we are going to get. So we, we, we add in the front end the correct uh, type 
But sure. that's that's what we do yeah, at the moment. Everyone. That's what everyone has to do, though. Like, there has to be at the network boundary, you have to be like, this is what's coming in. I promise. Pinky swear. <laughs> well, I, I promise. That's the thing, right? I think, I think people have this understand, misunderstanding. They're like, oh, TypeScript is actually going to be like a joy or a yup, which actually goes through and literally checks to make sure that, like, oh, there should be an ID here and there's not. Yeah, that kind of yeah. thing. But it won't, it's not going to do that. Yeah. No, it doesn't do that. <laughs> it's it's, it's honor. Are there any other learning guides you would recommend, like any like you know courses or books or anything that you use for for learning or teaching others that you might recommend? To teach TypeScript? Yeah, and if not, that's okay too. It's just so. Curious. So it, I think in my case, for example, I learned it on a daily basis. I needed to do something, so I googled it, and then I found a solution. I tested and tried some things out, and. Yeah, I think it's pretty much it. Uh, there are a lot of materials on the internet, yeah, but I don't know one specific. <laughs> yeah, I think we gave people like some links to like learning TypeScript guides. Like there's a couple like well-published web books that are, are good. The official docs are really good. And there's a lot of like, if you want to learn, just like hit, like message one of us on Slack. We'll sit with you and talk you through it or like work with you on it. And that was a lot of how we did it. And like, I learned TypeScript through this conversion. I'd never used TypeScript before. So for me, it was just like, learn on the job. <laughs> how do I do this? Like, yeah, a lot of a lot of that. And like reading other people's code, stealing ideas. When I joined Center, the TypeScript conversion was already happening. So I, I was happy because I already had uh, TypeScript knowledge. And I, I was glad they could help the team consequently speeding up the process. So then we could use hooks, for example. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, now that you have TypeScript out in production, well, I guess, first of all, has it helped stop <laughs> some of the random bugs that you got in would be the first question. And I'm also curious, like now that you have a complete TypeScript code base, are there any things that came up with TypeScript specifically that you you maybe didn't think about early on? I would say the the like promise of you know solving some of the runtime runtime errors that could be caught by compilers has come true. We haven't had a, a front end code production incident that could have been caught by a compiler that wasn't anymore. So yeah. we still have like people still make mistakes. TypeScript is <laughs> not a pan panacea to solve all <laughs> bugs and prevent all problems. It doesn't do that. But what it does do is stop you from like accessing nulls and accessing undefines. So I would say those kinds of like very visible customer problems have not been happening. And the it's forced people to think about types a little bit better. So I feel like it helps design a little bit. As for like things we didn't expect to happen, build times have gotten longer just because the compiler we have a lot of TypeScript, not a lot of TypeScript code, but we have a, a sizable chunk of TypeScript code. So there is some added compile time. So we've tried to mitigate that by like keeping as current as we can with TypeScript so that we always get the fastest compiler, I guess. How much longer are we we talking? How long does it take the TypeScript compiler on your, your app? Um, a couple minutes. Okay. And that's something you only experience, like dev time is fine, right? Because it's like compiling as you go, but just when you build for like a release or whatever... I think there's, well, building for releases happens, like you merge to master and then building stuff happens and then Docker images have to be built. And like that whole Docker image build process is the, is a long part. I would say the CI and local dev is the, the slower part where like spinning up web, Webpacks has a like an initial lead time of a, okay. about a minute 
for it to get started. And then in CI, like the linting and TypeScripting checking takes a couple of minutes. Interesting. Okay. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. I've been playing a lot with uh, ES Build and SWC lately, which are like Rust and Go JSTS compilers. And in the right context, they can make a significant difference in those compile times. Big time. That, that's something <laughs> I would like to do. We have a lot of, we have a couple custom Webpack module, like custom Webpack plugins, which makes it hard because we're deeply entwined into Webpack. I've used Vite on or Vite on, mm. on a little side project, and it was awesome. Um, the compile times completely go away, but yeah, we, we're kind of deep in the Webpack pool. <laughs> yeah, Vite is amazing. So I, I've heard a lot of issues around TypeScript, and just kind of naysayers like, oh, I, I just don't want to do TypeScript when it comes to I'm more comfortable in JavaScript. And one of the another complaint I hear is that it makes code ugly. So is that something that you had any resistance on? Folks saying, I just don't like the look of it. Yes. Yes, that came up. <laughs> <laughs> the, the CTO was very much like TypeScript just makes code ugly and hard to read. But we did it anyways. I, I would also say that like <laughs> we also like Sentry is a, is, a, is a mixed shop. So we have some, we have a lot of JavaScript, we have Python, and then we also have Rust. And so TypeScript is not nearly as ugly as Rust. So it's, it's quite palatable <laughs> compared, to, compared to Rust. Agree, agree. <laughs> Fighting words right there. It's funny because make... it's, it's all in the eye of the beholder because I worked for a company that was a longtime .NET shop and they considered TypeScript like the height of elegance, right? Because it's it's made by the same person behind like C Sharp, who's like the .NET guru. So they considered like TypeScript to be like an enlightened form of JavaScript. And <laughs> so it, I think it's it's all relative to what your background is or what your personal preferences are. Yeah. So like the TypeScript is ugly camp came from like Python, where everything is like very syntactically, very like it's low, low noise or like low volume, I guess. And TypeScript has a lot more like punctuation to it. And Rust has even more <laughs> punctuation. <laughs> I don't think Rust or TypeScript are ugly. Like they're both very readable. They're just, you just have to, they have a lot more like they're dense. They're just dense languages. Oh, no, I think we should stick with that because it makes a great subtitle for the podcast is, you know, what is it again? TypeScript. It's nowhere near as ugly as Rust. And that's it right there. Not as ugly as Rust. <laughs> we, should just, we should just call it is TypeScript code ugly. Just <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I think it's that's all your clickbait title right there. What you're used to, right? Like if you're not used to Lisp, Lisp could be very ugly. Yeah, I think you can. There can definitely be some readability issues when it comes to generics, and yes. and I don't think any language that supports generics has actually solved that challenge. But generics are incredibly important in retaining the type safety 
of your components or whatever you're you're using. So have you seen folks maybe almost go too far with generics? I mean, I've definitely seen that un- as another complaint, which is people saying, oh, you know, it gets really complex. Um, I would say we have, we don't have a ton of generics. We have a lot of intersection types. Um, and we've had TypeScript yell at us that the type is too complicated. <laughs> this came up when with our like main event payload. If you include all of the properties, it, TypeScript's like, nah, I don't want to. Really? I've never seen that. <laughs> yeah, or That's another, one, another one we had was the top level form, like form input, where you can push a type as a string, and then you can get to all of the various input types in that we have in Sentry. We would just try and like intersection all of those types, like union all of those different formats together with a discriminated field. And at a certain point, TypeScript's like, nah, I don't want to do this. Like, there's too many conflicts. <laughs> wow. Type is too big. Please stop. Whoa. <laughs> um, Never seen that. That's uh, impressive. I was not, it was not a good thing to see. <laughs> I don't think we have a lot of generics in our code. Yeah, we have some, but not, not as not many. Not like, many. there's not a lot of like three tier generics, like the like generic of a generic of a generic. Like we don't try just try not right. to do that. One thing I've I've noticed from doing this podcast is that the people that struggle with TypeScript the most seem to be people like library authors that have these like general purpose APIs, because those are the ones that are really hard to configure. Like if you're the person that's in charge of making the types for like React or or like some of the libraries you were speaking of that had poor support, I imagine part of the reason why they have poor support is that they have to get into like crazy levels of like generics and intersection types because they're kind of designed for general purpose use. So that's where I think some of the struggles with TypeScript comes in. But the thing is like in your average app, even like big apps, like the ones you're working on, like th- those are like fringe situations, I feel like. Cause I mean, most of the time, the types you're dealing with, well, you have objects, arrays, strings, numbers, right? You're, you're not doing anything like crazy. Uh, and it sounds like that's sort of the case with what you've been working on as well. Yeah, I would say like for a lot of like web applications, you're dealing with like API responses and then converting those around and like munging that data and then turning it into into view state, right? Like, so I would completely agree that you're not dealing with crazy generics. I would say, yeah, and I think you're spot on with like the library, the library author part, like especially if that library started off as a as a JavaScript library and then was converted to TypeScript. I think that's where you really run into it because they've leverage the the dynamic properties of javascript and like the ability to be very polymorphic on anything and not kind of bite someone they try and turn into typescript yeah i think it was last week week before we were talking to an author of a, a form library and they were relaying horror stories of like it sounds like you have a similar experience as well like they had you know form things but forms can contain all sorts of types so they got into some some insanity in terms of defining that yeah, I could see a form yeah. library being really hard. Yeah. <laughs> One of the nice things about that, though, is sometimes you can kind of contain that insanity if you've got, for example, a, a set of shared components, like a, like the button that you're using everywhere, right? The type definition of a button might be a little bit complex because you might be bringing in like detailed HTML props, which has a really weird complex signature, but you want to get all of the extra types for a button and you don't want to define those yourself. So that's actually really nice. But the complexity is sort of contained within that 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 library of your your shared components and then as you, as a user right you just pull you, know, you just import button and the next thing you know you get hinting for on click and everything just works 
And, and so that's kind of nice. And sometimes, you know, you can hide the complexity a little bit of the, of the TypeScript stuff. It's not in your face, like all the time. Yeah. I feel yeah. like you get that with like well-designed libraries. Yeah. But it is tougher, I guess, for older libraries that were written in a style that was less kind of <laughs> normalized, maybe. <laughs> you know, you have to start using some of the weirder features of TypeScript to, to deal with that, like function overloading, which I don't even think people know exists inside TypeScript, but actually it does. And you can use it. We had to use it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there you go. Okay. You know, when you need it, it's actually really handy. But it's a, it's a weird implementation. It's not like C Sharp or C++ or Java. It's a sort of, it's, it's just kind of like multiple signatures for actually what's really just one function. I think what else we had to use? We had to use a lot of type cards to break down our unions. So we have a bunch of those. Yeah, those are some of the, like, the weirder TypeScript stuff we had to use was, yeah, function overloading, a lot of like type cards, custom type cards and big unions and intersections. Cool. Nice. So one thing uh, it'd be fun to talk about, because I, I know we have a lot of listeners that are working on similar types of apps, right? large projects that have been around for a while, and that they also have a laundry list of things that they want done, whether you know they want to be using hooks or they want to be using TypeScript or whatever the case may be. So I'm curious, and we, we did discuss some of this, but I'm curious if, if you have any other advice for convincing like management that like hey like this is a worthwhile effort because i know that can be a struggle for a lot of people to get time sort of approved to do this and then also like seeing these projects through because not every large scale effort like this ends with 100% conversion and success right so it's kind of impressive that you you push this to the finish line so I'd be curious if you have any other advice in terms of uh, how to make that sort of thing happen and how to see something of this scale through. So how to convince management to adopt TypeScript? I would say that only the, the possibility to catch errors on the compiled time, it's, it's amazing, you know? <laughs> so this is amazing. Also, we could reduce the need for API documentation because TypeScript itself self-explained everything, the type, and also auto-completion. So I believe with TypeScript, the team, it's faster. The, the product, pro, uh, productivity is uh, faster than usual. Yeah, I, would say, yeah, I guess on the, like, how do you get it to finish? We were really fortunate in that we have uh, we have a like a front end steering committee, and the main uh, contributors to the TypeScript project were also part of that that kind of steering committee, and so we just had to kind of stick to our guns, like no new big projects until this one is finished. And towards the end of the the the, the project, we were kind of like every week kind of asking people like, how many files are you going to convert? People would volunteer like convert a couple, or I'll convert two, or I'll convert three, and then. Every week, check in with those people. Like, did you get your, your stuff done? What are you going to do next week? And that helps kind of like gamify lightly people's yep. invo- desire to be involved. I would say another thing that helped us finish was that we did it in the long term. And so we weren't rushing to meet a deadline. Instead, we were just giving updates on like when we would finish. So instead of it being like, you must be finished by December of 2020, or your project is out of, out of gas, it was more like, we're just going to do this slow we're going to do it the right like the, the right way for us, which is like not slap any on everything and do a machine <laughs> translation. We're going to take our time, going to do it, you know, so that we have something that we're proud of when we're finished and then just give updates on when we will be done. 
And then as long as people were meeting their project delivery, like deliverables, the front-end folks were able to focus as much as they wanted on, on TypeScript. That was their kind of like their B project was converting to TypeScript. And all the managers, like all the team managers knew about it. Um, all the engineering managers knew about it, knew who was contributing to it. And so they were kind of like on board, like this is this person's B project. Yeah, I think all of that is great. Like I, I like Priscilla's points of proving to management. It's like a lot of those points you made were really about proving that this is going to be long-term a net positive, right? Like we'll like fewer bugs and more productivity will make this time like pay off in the the long run. And then I also like the points just in terms of keep seeing this through to the finish, like the the accountability bits, like having someone that's in charge of the project that reaches out and forces people to say, I'm going to do this and almost gamifying it a little bit, or at least like holding people accountable so that there's that constant update, like it doesn't get lost. Yeah. Uh, because I, I know when I've been involved in projects like this before, sometimes it's going well, but then some big feature comes down from business or some some big bug happens. And then all of a sudden, like this this thing that's very low priority gets sidetracked sometimes to never <laughs> reappear. So <laughs> I, I think having like someone on it and someone constantly checking in through all of that can can make a big difference. Yeah. I'd also say another thing that helped us was like, yeah, constantly checking in constantly double checking and then also making sure all the new code was written in TypeScript was a, was a big yeah. monumental thing to get done was like <laughs> convince everyone that TypeScript is worth learning and then also get them to stop writing JavaScript because if we if we never stopped writing JavaScript we would never finish and so for us to be able to complete like and to prove that the TypeScript project was going to going to actually finish both to ourselves and to management was to get everyone to stop writing JavaScript and we're way past that point now but that was a that was a key turning point was getting everyone on board. Yeah, so that actually leads to a question. So, would you personally ever want to work on a straight JavaScript application again? Yeah, like I, I, it would. It's not as good as like TypeScript. Like you get a lot more benefits out of having it in TypeScript. If I was to start a new project, I would definitely start it in TypeScript. Sure. How about you, Priscilla? Yeah, me too. Me too. Last week we had uh, again Hack Week, and I worked on two projects, and I used uh, TypeScript. So I started from scratch and I decided to, to, to use TypeScript because, yeah, I really like it. And I think that's something, again, with the, like, talking to management, right? Hiring is always an issue. It's a very hot hiring market right now. People can move between jobs very quickly and people are evaluating what they're going to be going into. And if you're saying, hey, you know, we're doing React circa 2015 in JavaScript, Come on down. People are going to be like, oh, no, <laughs> I really enjoy, you know, TypeScript and, and, and hooks. I mean, Priscilla's like, yes, hooks. Yes. You know, <laughs> right? So you want to work in a modern code base. And I think that's the thing, you know, when you talk to management, that's a, that's a selling point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think that was something our, like, RVPs knew as well. Like, the, the VP that we were working with, Ben, is, like, very much understanding of that people want to be on the, the, the vanguard and want to be working with, with new stuff. And Sentry is a company does that a lot as well. So I, that, I, I think that's an important point to make if you're in an organization where that isn't part of like the, the company's culture. I'd like to add that we are always trying to, to introduce new technologies. And for example, now we just introduced reactive testing library. So we are planning of converting our tests to from Enzyme to reactive testing library. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, I was just going to say that the... It's it's a really good point that like sometimes like 
you you are not in control of your management and your your team or like entire organization. And not to put this too blunt, but I mean, if if your organization is really obstinate, if your managers aren't great, you know, it is a hiring market. You know, there are other <laughs> decent teams out there. So if you really are like super super struggling and working on stuff you're not interested in, well, maybe you know, consider other things as well because they're everybody's got like old code, you know, bad code bases and such, but having a culture that encourages that sort of thing and allows you to, you know, ramp up over time, I think is a really big deal. Like Sentry is an old code base. It's coming up on eight, nine years. But at the same time, we also like like to fix it and <laughs> see the value in investing in it and, and making it current and like keeping it up to date. Like on the, on the, the not front end, we've just finished like a humongous amount of Python upgrades. Like, from Python 2 to Python 3, from Django 1.6 all the way to Django 2.2. Like that's been eight months of work. And all of that is to get us up to a new version of Python so we can get performance actually is the, is the main driver of that. And I have to imagine too, like like pushing those things to production is immensely satisfying as well. Like it's it's like the same sort of things that like when you finish, like for me, it's like if I mow my, I like if I mow my lawn, like there's that moment, like when you're done, like I hate mowing my lawn, but at the same time, when I'm done, like looking out over it, it's like, yeah, I crushed that. Like, look how good that grass. Yeah. I was going to say like that last puzzle piece, you know, when you got the a thousand piece puzzle, I can only imagine like that last JSTS file, right? The last commit was like, <laughs> yes, we did it. You know, as a team, you know, if you're in Slack, you're like, yeah, that last little bit. Yes. We celebrated a lot. Yeah. Nice. Priscilla, yeah. was that your your file? Who was the last person to actually like do the last file? I think it was Kevin. Oh, all right. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't either of us. I think it was one of the other one of the other folks. We we let the, the largest files, the the most complex files, uh to the end. And oh. but I can't, I, yeah, I can't remember who converted <laughs> the last one. <laughs> there was we definitely have... yeah, there's some like changing of tactics through it. it was like start with the biggest start with the files that are imported the most then start with the files that are imported with the least because these most imported files are becoming annoying and then it was like import you do like one whole view tree there was a bunch of different tactics but yeah there was a bunch of big rocks at the end which yeah you did mention that in the article where you mentioned you know there sometimes you work from the core and other times you work from the leaves and that's actually a very interesting question out there is hey we get that typescript is awesome you know, how do we go and take our 20,000, 30,000 file, you know, project and and bring that over? Like, what what are some good strategies? And I don't, unfortunately, I think the answer probably there is it depends. It's a terrible <laughs> yes. answer. Yes. Yes, it's totally unsatisfying. <laughs> I would say, like, try a bunch of different approaches and see which ones help you get progress. Like, the if your goal is to convert that 20,000 file project over, do the things that are going to help you get progress. Like if you're going to measure progress on number of files, aim for like, choose whatever tactic is going to yield you the most amount of progress at the beginning. Um, so that you can get a good foothold so you can get people invested and get people ready to, to help out. Yeah. You want to finish up on that? I, I feel like you left out. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Awesome. Very cool. Well, this has been really, really fun. Uh, I think now is the time to get into this week's picks. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So Mark, why don't you lead us off on your pick for this week? Uh, sure, yeah. I would say the new version of Vim, uh, NeoVim. 
uh, 0.5 has native language server support. So you can configure NeoVim with Lua, which is nice. You don't have to use VimScript, which is my least favorite programming language. And you can use Lua to script it. And then the native LSP look, looks really good and works really well. So check out NeoVim and some of the, the new native LSP plugins. Very cool. How about you, Priscilla? Oh, I think. So, yeah, so that is this library, DND Kit. I really like that one. It's They have an amazing documentation. It's very easy to customize. And yeah, it's amazing, the library. It's very light so what as it, well. What does it do? D&D kit? Yes. Do not uh, disturb? So uh, recently, we had to introduce drag and drop in Sentry. Oh, oh, and okay. and we found this library and it's amazing. We we are really enjoying using it. Cool. Yeah, there's so many D&Ds. There's drag and drop. There's Do Not Disturb, Dungeons and Dragons. It's very, very popular, you know, three-letter combination, there, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And for my pick, I'm going to go with a bit more metaphorical, just the power of saying no. I know that we just, we talked a little bit about burnout in the beginning of this episode. And the I, I find the major key for me to avoiding burnout is to just say no. You know, if you reduce the amount of stuff on your plate. You get less stressed out. And, uh, and you just feel better about the, the traction that you make, you make in a day by saying no to a lot of these small projects, even the ones that you want to do for yourself. So I think that's really important. I think I read a book about it, but I can't remember the title, How to Give a Sheet. I, I, don't, I cannot remember the title, <laughs> but, but it was exactly about it. The power of no. Yeah. I know we all we all, all want to be nice people. We all want to help out our friends and, and all of that. But, you know, you can just get snowed under on all these things. And work is just work alone is very stressful. So, you know, you want, don't want to take on too much. You want to live a happy and healthy life and, you know, go out and do kayaking or whatever you, you enjoy. So take that time and be confident and say no. Yes, definitely. TJ, you want to take us out? Yeah, I will not be picking Comcast this week as I, I hope this isn't <laughs> come through in the editing, but my internet has been catastrophic here lately. But I will pick a window manager for the Mac called Divi, D-I-V-V-Y. One thing that I, I am shocked the Mac still doesn't have it built in, just a way of snapping a window to a certain part of a screen. Uh, it's crazy to me that you have to like look out for a third-party app for that, but Divi is a pretty decent one if you don't already have one. And I'd recommend it, especially if you have like a widescreen monitor, just because being able to dock windows is is super nice and super uh, time-saving. Absolutely. Thanks for that. I'll check that out. All right. Well, thank you so much for showing up. That was an awesome episode. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for having us. See everybody. Thanks for having us. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.